When Indiana Jones returned in 2008 with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the reception was... passionate, we'll say. But in a world with so many returning franchises, maybe it's held up okay. Let's jump in the fridge and find out. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. I've got a bad feeling about this. Oh, do you? Do you have a bad feeling about this? Uh, do you think it was deep that George Lucas referenced uh, Star Wars with the script there? You, you mean, which time? I lost <laughs> count. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. This is a movie podcast. We are working through the Indiana Jones franchise because obviously Dial of Destiny is coming. In fact, when you get this review, it'll be next week. For us, it's like a month. But, but when you get this review, it'll be a week. I think it'll well, our review of it'll be next week, but I think it actually just came out like yesterday, as of release dates. Oh, oh, oh okay, sure, okay, yes, our yeah. review of it will be next week. You know what I mean? But that's what matters yeah. here is when it's coming to us for, for mm-hmm. you. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, we'll see how that's going. Um, I was going to say something. I'll save it for the end, right? Well, we, okay. can, talk, we can talk about expectations for the new one at the end because it makes sense to sure. put it at the end of the fourth one, but. Uh, we'll get into it. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out in 2008. We'll start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do. We'll give you a warning mm-hmm. before we get spoilers. We've been up and down with this franchise. You know, we loved the yeah. first one. We weren't so hot in the second one. We quite like the third one. It has its problems, but definitely a solid sequel. Mm-hmm. Crystal Skull is mm-hmm. the other one that is often greatly disliked on the internet, I think would be fair to say. Isn't, isn't it that the even number Star Trek movies are good. Isn't that the thing? Uh, yes. Although I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, that okay. is the sentiment. Fair enough. I just, I'm wondering if Indy is the flip where it's the even number ones are like, Oh, maybe you don't have to, you don't <laughs> have to spend your time. Uh, basically I, I like motion picture and everyone can, uh, kiss my ass. Thank you. Hey man, <laughs> if you got that kind of time to waste for a docking sequence, you, you take it. <laughs> I love a good docking sequence, me. <laughs> yeah. You dock that ship. You dock it. I think that <laughs> might trip up the YouTube algorithm. I think it's too close. <laughs> anyway, so... um, Yeah, C- Crystal Skull. I saw this in theaters. Obviously, it's the first Indiana Jones that I saw in theaters because, mm-hmm. you know, Last Crusade literally came out the year I was born, so... <laughs> <laughs> wasn't much of it just sounds like your parents weren't dedicated enough. <laughs> I would have been like, what? I we looked this up last time, actually. I was like two yeah, months old. you were like old. three months old, two months yeah, old, somewhere there. So, obviously, this was the first chance to go see one. 2008, I was 19. So that gives mm-hmm. you a good idea of like how long it had been. Like literally 19 years because I, I was born <laughs> that year yep. Last Crusade came out. Um, so... Uh, was excited to see it, hoped for the best, of course, and obviously the reaction to Crystal Skull is largely pretty negative, with a, with a lot of cre- key critiques really? that uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into if we agree with them, if our minds have changed over time. I think mm-hmm. the most interesting lens to look at this one through now is that the nostalgia sequel is such a common, like, oh, consistent yeah. thing now that at this time, I think we had like Die Hard 4 the year before, and that was mm. like we're just starting to get into that this idea of like resurrecting these old franchises that were maybe trilogies before, and we're going to melt them for some more now. 
Yeah, it's basically the, hey, wait a minute, hold on. All the things that you went to go see as a kid, you now have disposable income. Mm. So we're just going to put it all back into theaters, pay us more money. Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. What's so funny about watching this now, though, is that Harrison Ford looks so old in the trailers for the new one. And he's obviously old in this one, but he looked young comparatively because now I'm used to him now. I mean, without getting too much into it, there was a part in here where Shia LaBeouf makes a joke saying, what are you, 80? And he actually and I'm like, that. he will be. We're going to see that. Oh, dear. So, yes. Uh, I mean, I don't really think there's much point of giving a plot synopsis, other than we have the, the, this, the addition of Mutt Williams, played by Shia LaBeouf, Marion's back, our villains played by Kate Blanchett. We'll talk about the characters mm-hmm. in a bit. Uh, but I think before we get into any of those specifics, we'll just get the general feelings on the table, whip it yes. out, get the dock on the display. Uh, <laughs> I thought we were recording that after this. <laughs> That's the Patreon, uh, too hot yeah. for YouTube content. Um, David, mm. after watching it again now, and if you can remember yes. how you felt the first time you saw it, if you, if you do have those memories, uh, mm-hmm. general feelings on Crystal Skull this movie when i remember seeing it i remember it being really really cheesy i remember it being like it didn't feel like there was this big threat i wasn't super engaged with the adventure going on i just remember everything feeling really cheesy going back and doing the first three indiana jones films right before this made me realize that since Temple of Doom, there always has been this level of cheesiness in Indiana Jones. So I get it. I see it now. But this particular one, the cheesiness was not the same. It was a different level. It was an entirely different feel to it. I'd say the worst thing I could say about this movie is that it feels so sanitized. Like, There is no dirt or grime in this movie. This movie was entirely filmed in a green screen set. Mm. And it's just, you feel that, you see that, you understand that there isn't anything, Act like, there is no point where I feel like Harrison Ford actually got dirty making this movie. So in terms of how do I like it, compared to how I was, I guess, would have been... 10 years ago, since I probably, like, really last sat down and watched it. Eh, I mean, it's it's not that much of a change. I think that it's pretty much the same as it was. But in terms of how I like it just in general, not good. Not <laughs> a good movie. And I don't feel like I'm blowing everybody's hair back by saying that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I definitely get the critique that everything feels like it's on a sound stage surrounded by green screen or there's a couple of there's like a, a chase in the jungle sort of like yeah uh, two-thirds in where w- w- obviously a lot of chase sequences like this are done with green screens but long before this and long after this are green screened and that's fine but something about the weird kind of like they were trying to add this sort of blur whooshing effect to everything it just made everything look very kind of phony in a way that yeah. i'm i i guess I expect it to have a certain level of fakeness because it is fake, but I guess what I'm saying is is I just didn't like how this looked. I thought it looked bad as a as a visual, and therefore that yeah. I had more of a problem with it than maybe a normal just green screen effect. Right. Like we brought up before on how they're when they used green screen in like Raiders and Temple of Doom, 
it stood out. It wasn't good. It was not like mm. it blended in seamlessly. But there was something to the fact that it didn't quite hit that uncanny valley. That it was so bad that it stood out. Whereas this one, it almost straddles that line of, well, it is really good, but it's not quite photo real. Yeah, and but- so you can tell this strangeness of it feels like it's there but at the same time i know that it isn't in a deep guttural level but did you also did you feel like though it was almost like they had vaseline smeared across it to try and obscure the fact that it wasn't quite perfect so i felt that kind of weird blurry dreamlike quality to a lot of the action sequences because they were trying to obscure it and it just Mm -hmm. it felt off to me but i think i think the best sequence in this movie which we'll get to is the motorcycle chase around campus because pretty much everything was shot on location there were very few things that were green screened in it's stunt work yeah Yeah. uh and all of the big indie stunts are all from behind so a stunt man can do i mean it would be a stunt man anyway but you know but especially in this case because he's an old man oh yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah i mean my feelings watching it okay i like parts of it well enough uh like I think the opening, like, 20 minutes or whatever is mostly mm. fine. Uh, even even enjoyable to a point. Mm. And then, like, the thing that everyone complains about and makes fun of in this movie hits. And I think because I, don't, I hadn't seen this since the theatre, since, uh, you know, 2008. Okay. And I always remembered the big thing, which we'll talk about in spoilers, but it involves a fridge, right? Oh, yeah. Right? But the, the thing that really caught me off guard about watching it again now is just how... And needless the entire sequence is because if you just cut mm-hmm. to the next part without this little interlude you wouldn't question anything you're like it's, it's a threat they introduce just for the sake of having another little set piece moment that doesn't actually add anything to the plot it's just really stupid so yeah you know there's, there's stuff like that throughout it there's there's, there's there's beats that i don't like i i don't actually hate the concept of what the movie's about i think they go too far with it but, I think it's not focused at all. I mean, if you go down past the previous movies, it's like, all right, mm. the specific thing we're looking for, the Ark, these stones, the Grail. This one, it's like, ah, oh, we got like four different myths going on and we're just mishmashing them together. Who cares? I think there's a good idea in there. And I do like the overall like subject that it ties into because it's set in the 50s and it's a thing mm. that feels appropriate to a movie that's going for a pulpy 50s feel. Oh yeah, and I I think that works, but I do think they go far too. Like the last like ten minutes of the big stuff at the end just goes off a cliff in terms of. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Pardon me. Uh, just goes off a cliff in terms of like <sighs> I, don't, I don't know. There's a certain point where you see a CG thing, and I'm just like, ah, uh, what are we doing? Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's. That, especially because it's in the opening sequence a big thing of this is that it takes place at the beginning in area 51 mm-hmm. so you get a feel if you know what area 51's about like where this is going and i get it from a sense of this is set in 1957 if any serials were coming out at that point they would be the sort of b-grade science fiction movies that were all rage and i understand the attempt of let's make this sort of fold into that time of the atomic age. But I think what people like most about indie is the mysticism. It is the back to the like 1930s and 40s era. And so pulling it ahead to this era and adapting with it, there's a reason people liked the throwback to begin with. They didn't Mm -hmm. care that it was specifically 
I guess it would have been 50 years prior to whatever Harrison Ford's age is at that moment. Mm. Like, it would have been... Which is a little bit funny, actually, because uh, he will almost... Like, the, the the time period the new one has to be set in because of when mm-hmm. this is set and his age and all that. We're going to be in the 70s. We're almost at the point where Raiders of the Lost Ark is coming out yeah. and timeline-wise. And that's quite I funny ima- to me. I imagine at some point in this movie, he's going to be running through some streets and he's going to run into George Lucas shooting American Graffiti. <laughs> oh, don't give them ideas. But, oh, that'll make me cringe so much. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I actually, I don't mind doing... The, the, the more sci-fi 50s pulp said i'm actually on board with that idea the idea that uh some cultures like were actually building stuff around like, the, the, their, their mythology was built around the idea that at some yeah. point there was an alien or something i think that's all very interesting i mm-hmm. think they just go far too nuts with it towards the end because they want to do the big you know it's 2008 now we have to do big walls of cg destruction stuff happening and we have to do yeah big grandiose things and I, I do think it takes away from stuff um there's the funny moment that you know red letter media always makes fun of which is the delivery of uh part-time uh yeah. when he's asked because they're taking the trailers better and it does stick out like, even watching it now it just feels like why is this the take that was used there's just there's so many little things and this is directed by spielberg mm-hmm. it's you know george lucas's like co-story by i think his credit is and then david cope i think is the yeah the screenplay writer Mm-hmm. um like i just i'm i'm baffled by some of the choices that are made at points but for the most part i don't think it's that crazy or insane i think it's just it falls victim to what studios believe is popular in a blockbuster in 2008 and otherwise just feels like a very safe and like you say because of how they're shooting it it just feels all very sanitized and right. sound stagey and you know that 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 scene where he says part time is a good example of that where i just i feel like i can I, I can almost sense the boundaries of the set and where the yeah the paintings are to make it look like we're outside or the green screen or whatever you know and i wouldn't have a problem with that like if they want to shoot it on green screen that's fine i don't have an inherent problem with that but the way that they went about it it they didn't like work with that in mind because every single one of the scenes you like you said you could feel the boundaries yeah if they had if they had built the sets in a way and they had an idea for like in i mean as much as they aren't great but like in the star wars prequels they have those like short walking talking scenes that just barely go down the length of a hallway and that's because they're on a set they're they can't walk any further for this one it would have been fine to have like those smaller more intimate fight scenes on those smaller sets but when you look at the images themselves of how the sets are built it doesn't have this feel like it goes on forever like the hallways in star wars does it instead feels like here's the boundary and then the matte painting in the background this is blowing my mind that you're using the star wars prequels as a positive example of something because i think how that handles these things is also wrong. Like there's all, oh no, absolutely. There's problems with that as well. But like if with all of the sets, it feels like yes, they are in this location. But if you're just looking at a screenshot of it, it feels like they could go anywhere. Like the entire thing is just one large open world. Whereas I think in this movie, every single set piece feels like you are locked into a fifteen by fifteen square, and you are not able to leave. Even if you're just watching a single frame of it, regardless of motion. It feels like this is it. And like you said, that scene 
uh, on the mountaintop is the worst example of that because it you can see the boundaries yeah. exactly where they are. Yeah, and even when it's like a, a jeep chase in the jungle, which technically is moving through a lot of space, it just always feels that you're just there's stuff moving around the the the, the, the truck yeah. that's effectively still. You know, there was never a shot <laughs> in this in that entire sequence where the camera whip panned to see the trucks going by. If they did, would have changed everything. But I know they always kept it in pace with the trucks because they had to. Yeah. Uh, so obviously Harrison Ford's here uh, yes. as Indy. Makes sense. He's the star after all. Uh, Karen <laughs> Allen's back as Marion. Uh, Joe was so... Oh, I can't really talk about I'll save this for spoilers, what I was about to say. Okay. But like Mar- right. Marion's back, obviously, the love interest from the original movie. Although mm-hmm. they save her till quite late on. They try and do like a little bait and switch here. And I won't... St- this isn't a spoiler because... Karen Allen's here, you know she's playing Marion, but mm. we get a different surname when she's mentioned early on, and it's yeah. almost meant to be like something to throw us, or at least throw Indy so that he's not expecting her. Um, I mean, they also changed the her actual name. They call her Mary instead of Marion. Uh, well, I think one person calls her Mary, but someone someone definitely still calls her Marion as well. Eh, I mean, Mutt calls her Mary in the first time. So Sure, but like... He's hardly calling his mother by her first name that often, is he? He's not used to that's it. That's fair, but you still know what it is. <laughs> well, again, that's probably just to throw Indy off so that he's not thinking oh, her, yeah. right? So he can be surprised later. But yeah, Shia LaBeouf is here as Mutt Williams, who is the young adventure greaser character from the 50s, who we'll talk about in detail, obviously, in spoilers, but... Let's just say if this movie was a bigger hit, they were hoping that maybe the torch could be passed over oh my to, God. A, to this young man. <laughs> Are you okay now? I'm. I know you just recently did these on um on Ace. Uh-huh. How many Transformers films were out at this point? To only the first one. Only the first one. Yeah, wow. For, okay. First one's two thousand seven. Then this is two thousand eight. So this is the height of Shia LaBeouf mania, where. He was being pushed as the next big star in major blockbusters. And it felt like he was going to be around forever. And he's still around, don't get me wrong. But he's not... Like, he... he After those three Transformers movies, he was clearly just done with that type of movie. And he... he you know, oh, yeah. He's, he's he's off doing other things because he, he just... He didn't want to be the leading man anymore. No. Uh, I, I think he was too busy being an actual cannibal. I don't know how painful or friendly this experience was. I imagine working with Spielberg's probably fairly nice. But three Michael Bay Transformer movies, he was he was done. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to do any more of these. Get Mark Wahlberg for the next one. I'll, I'm out of here. And everyone was better for it, right, Pete? I mean, you're neck deep in piss, right? And someone's got a bucket of shit. Do you stay mm. up and take on the shit, or do you dunk down under the piss? I mean, it's it's a, it's a that th- is a horrible metaphor and i wish to erase it from my brain i stole that from the angry video game there i can't take credit okay. for it but it gotcha. was the, it was the perfect metaphor for it what, is, the, it what is. you just proposed to me um, do that. i mean i don't hate shia labeouf I, he's not no. he's like i do hate a lot of the things that he's in <laughs> i was gonna say like for this movie i i going into it everyone knows that everyone's like ah oh, mutt's here mutt's the worst like he's just a bad character i gotta say i didn't really dislike him all that much he wasn't given uh, a lot of to do but ha- he wasn't the worst actor i do have to say though i burst out laughing at his intro i forgot his intro was him 
slowly riding his motorbike out of like the smoke yeah. of the train or the steam of the train and he comes out and he's got this little cap on and he's, he's that's like oh he looks so funny <laughs> it's 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 the same issue i forget what we were talking about it's the same issue of you're trying to make your character too cool yeah he's he's shia labeouf like <laughs> slow your roll guys oh dear um Kate Blanchett's here as the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, she's playing a Soviet, so it's not Nazis anymore. It's Soviets makes sense given the time yeah. period. Um, Ray Winston's in here as uh, kind of a Mac. A, Ma- as Mac, yeah, he he mm-hmm. like is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? I mean, we'll, <laughs> like the movie goes back and forth quite a bit. So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, John Hurt's in here. Any relatively small role uh, i mean he's cru- he's critical to the plot but he's also like we said in the last movie with um oh, i'm blanking on his name now the old guy from the last movie oh yeah but brod brody brody yes yeah brody he's he's kind of filling that same sort of role of he was a mentor of indies and also he's kind of the bumbling guy he's, he's more of just a plot device in this he, he's not mm-hmm. even really a character and and any real sense of the word i mean i will get to it in spoilers i guess but one of the things in the plot is that this character got into this adventure and then basically had to backtrack because he didn't have all the answers and it's only once indy joins him that they actually go through the whole thing he gets like 95 percent of the way done and indy's just following him that whole time (laughs) yeah yeah uh that's a problem because it does make you feel like the main character is not really achieving or doing that much mm-hmm. uh in the, in the large sense uh so yeah the actor who played brody i don't know if he passed away or if he just didn't want to come back it's entirely possible i think he passed away like just a couple years after crusade really? he was very okay. early on yeah oh, okay uh so we kind of have jim broadband or broadbent i should say and uh, mm-hmm. kind of and his effect of that role obviously there's reference to uh brody we even see a photo of sean connery the idea that yeah, it makes sense that they've probably passed. Given the age that Harrison Ford is, that it makes sense that his yeah. dad's gone. Uh, so we get references to them almost too many. I actually didn't. I, I remember that there'd been a photo on the desk of Brody. I did not remember a big painting in the university and a goddamn statue that's used as a comedy beat at one point. He was a very popular man, a- a- apparently so. But uh, yeah, so Jim Broadbent, uh, who I know from Only Fools and Horses, uh, Americans won't know that, but you might know him from Hot Fuzz. He's the one that says a great big bushy beard. He's he's the he's the dad in Hot Fuzz. I know you're gonna dislike how I know him, but I'll just throw it out there. Uh, Moulin Rouge. Oh, I thought you were going to say like uh, he plays. He's the voice of Christmas and Arthur Christmas hmm. as well. He is. Professor Slughorn in Harry Potter. He's a, yeah, he's in, the, in a Harry Potter too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so yeah, yeah people are people are yeah. Yeah. Um. So we have a we have a, a reasonable cast. We got a couple of like big new names. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a young guy who potentially could take the franchise forward. Although given that I don't see Shia LaBeouf being billed heavily for Dial of Destiny, I suspect. That's that. Honestly, I, I, we'll get to it at the end. That's one of my biggest questions. Is it's so obvious that they didn't think they were ever going to do a fifth one? I want to see how they managed to carry on from this one. Yeah, I don't even know if Karen Allen's even going to like be yeah. making it. 
so I, I have no idea how to go to address. She's just going to have a picture right next to Sean Connery. Just be like, <laughs> man, everyone's dead. <laughs> uh, so that's our cast. Uh, is there anything else I want to even talk about? I think we have to get spoilers just so we can actually talk about everything. Um, I mean, the only thing, and we, like I said, we talked about it forever. I don't have an issue with the score, with the way, like, it's graded or anything like that. All that's fine. It is all just down to the CGI. Like, mm. everything that I technically hate about this film is in the CGI. And I, I, specifics we'll get into with plot, but if that's something that bothers you, that is absolutely something that you need to stay away from this movie for. Yeah. Uh, so spoilers then for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You have been warned. Uh, so... The movie opens with firmly establishing the time period. We get a 50s-style car with, like, 50s teenagers, you know. Yep. Uh, we, we get a... I don't remember what the song is now off the top of my head, but it was a 50s song playing as well. Hound Dog? That sounds right. I think it was Hound Dog. Uh, yeah. And they're riding alongside, like, some of these soldiers who are driving in trucks, and they're trying to get them to race a little bit. And the soldier gets mm-hmm. into it, and it's just... This is just your title sequence. Uh, notably, they're using the same type of titles as Last Crusade and Raiders. Mm-hmm. Meaning that Temple of Doom is the only one that went with the big flashy one for whatever reason. I mean, I get it. I understand. I think I even said during Temple, it's a good eye catch. But at the same time, yeah, it, it's, it only solidifies its odd man out status. I think it's because the rest of them, the, the, all of them, including Raiders, even though it's the first one, all went for this sort of quiet, like, I wouldn't say this is moody, but the titles are like slow... And they're, they've got a moody font that, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. building up to, like, eventually seeing Indy, right? Whereas Temple, well, it still obviously didn't have him right away. He came into the scene after the song and dance. Yeah. I feel like the, the other ones all do this thing where it's like, okay, when are we going to see him? When are we going to see him? Whereas I don't feel like Temple quite had that. It was like, oh, this is just the opening number. And then, you know, yeah. and he walks. Uh, and yeah, they make a big deal of his entrance here where they get him out of the, the car. They've got him in the, the, the back of it tied up mm-hmm. uh the soviets already have them captive I was, it is important to note that all the soviets are posing as u.s soldiers yeah and they get, arrive at yeah we get they that, arrive at area 51 yeah we get that really memorable shot actually of the, the main guy coming up and kneeling down and behind them there's the four other guys with guns who shoot all the guards mm-hmm. uh, and like i it goes to the same thing i said at the end of last crusade from a camera perspective i get it totally like it, it's a good shot but there were two guards there. Someone must have noticed the four soldiers <laughs> in a line with a gun standing behind the main guy. I mean, they're thinking this is U.S. military, so... Uh, yeah. I, I mean, no, you, I mean, you're right. They're standing at different angles. They're not all facing dead on where they wouldn't notice this. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to be honest, it's a Paul Pera franchise, though. I can let that like those things oh, yeah. go. Uh, that's and uh, like they're all very nitpicky it's not something that actually like ruins my immersion or anything like that it all comes down to there's a certain threshold of this is forgivable because indy's always been a little pulpy and then there's things that shia labeouf does in the second half of this movie <laughs> but they've got indy they did a whole thing where you see the hat first and then we see the, the shadow of him putting the hat on and eventually we see him turning around Mm-hmm. and um ray winston's there they're working together this is like his partner uh who of course is going to betray him in like five minutes 
Uh, which oh, yeah. Ray Winston secretly being a villain is like the most obvious thing that uh, could happen, and they, they almost like try and double swerve you later, but then no, it's a triple swerve. He actually is a villain by the it's end. quadruple swerve practically. Yes, but so here's the thing. Some may think I I would probably complain that they're at the warehouse with all of the artifacts from the end of Raiders, mm. right? Now, yep. I, I do think they go too far by showing the arc at the end of the scene, you know, sitting in the box. But because they're there looking for something else, I actually think this is a smart, like, tactic to, like, you know, bring us back into the world and give us something that's a breadcrumb of something we know. Because they set up this warehouse, we saw the arc go there, and there was thousands of other things there. Yeah. The idea that this movie this movie's plot starts with like the bad guy stealing something from this place. Not the arc though. If it was the arc I'd complain. I, I would say, Oh, we're going back to Oh yeah. This, absolutely. This, this is the Death Star again in, you know, uh Force Awakens. Like we're doing It seems that, that somehow the arc has returned. <laughs> yes. But they're there for something else here. And we also discover this is Area fifty one, which I don't think they ever hinted at at this you know in Raiders that that's what this warehouse was. Oh no, not at all. This was just generic ass warehouse. So yeah, so the you know, Indy does his magnetized test to find what they're looking for. Okay, you say that as if it's just a totally normal <laughs> thing here. So the the whole bit is that the reason they kidnapped Indy is because the thing they're looking for, Indy actually like worked on. He like yes. supervised. So he was at the Roswell crash. Is the thing the movie is just hinting at yeah although they do make it clear later that him and a bunch of other people all work independently and were never given the full picture so mm-hmm. he only has a fragment of the overall thing and he was threatened with treason right. if he ever spoke about it to anyone else so but his his fragment is that the items of the box are heavily magnetized and so what he does is he tells them i need gunpowder because the metal filings inside the gunpowder will basically act as a compass and will guide them towards this thing in the warehouse. And so what he does is he gets up on some boxes and he just throws it up in the air and it moves like a nanobot cloud (laughs) just through the warehouse. And I'm like, buddy, guy, I don't think you understand how magnets work because there is no way in any world that that thing wouldn't already be like pulling from your hand if it were that strong of a field that is perfectly fair i think i had less of an issue with this part of it not that i'm I'm disagreeing with you Uh, you're Mm -hmm. right but i think i was on board well enough with this but once they actually get close and he uses the 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 shotgun like shrapnel to like and it all goes to like okay that's kind of cool it all Mm -hmm. goes through the boxes to find the one and it's all sticking to the box once they actually start moving it and we see that their their dog tags are all starting to float towards it and stuff, part of me was like, but there's a lot of other metal things here that don't seem to be reacting to this as well. Right? Like, yeah. And there's at one point um, later on in the movie, we see that it's not just actual magnets. Like, it's yes. magic magnets. And things that aren't, metals that aren't even magnetized will also be drawn to it. So why wasn't the Ark of the Covenant, which was apparently super close by, just smacked onto the end of that thing, being made of gold? I mean, well, I, I, I'll give them some leeway in that that's quite heavy, and presumably the reason why the, the gunpowder... So, again, the rules they're giving me is that this gunpowder is light enough that the magneti- magnetization is strong enough to right. pull it from here, right? And then once mm-hmm. you get closer, it starts pulling things like dog tags and the guns and the swords start to like go towards it. Um mm-hmm. So I'm not necessarily questioning why the truck they're moving it to isn't like sliding towards it, but 
part of me's thinking that just to like show that it is affecting it, like maybe if the brakes were on, maybe it would start to roll. You know, like it would start or something. Or yeah. at the very least, when they put it onto the truck, maybe have it feel like it sort of like like clings to it, like dink. You know, like yeah, you know, like so- have at some point have the truck do like a wheelie or a flip, and it somehow stays on. Just a tiny little thing like that. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know, it felt like it was very selective as to what was being affected mm-hmm. in the scene by the magnetism when it was close by. It's one thing when it's far away, but like, like even when like they were all next to it, it felt like it was very, some things are, some things aren't. And when you bring in later that, oh, like, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't even know that gold wasn't magnetic. I just assumed yeah. it would have been. But they tell us that it's not, and it's weird that that's also been attracted to this thing. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's interesting, but it also opens up the the, the 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 bag of worms that oh yeah like that's that's the one thing that i was what got me later on in the movie when it said like oh it's magnetic and sucking up all the stuff but like it's not actually supposed to be magnetic this seems like the sort of thing that if you were to actually like hold it close to your body as all of these people do that you'd have like the magneto blood being pulled out just from the <laughs> iron in it sort of thing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because it, it, it almost has kind of worms where you're like, well, okay, if it if it's magnetic with gold and gold mm. isn't supposed to be magnetized, then is gold the only thing that's magnetic that's not supposed to be? Because what but else even, in this scene should be magnetic? And, with but it? even then, I think the worst part is is that they focus so much on the first half of this movie of like, oh, this thing's magnetic and it does the stuff. But by the time you hit like halfway through the second act, it being magnetized doesn't matter at all. No, it like, the, does the, not play a fact. Yeah, I, I think my thinking on uh, first viewing would probably be that this was going to be used, if not to solve a puzzle later, then maybe mm-hmm. in like an action sequence they'll use the magnet. Magnetization will save them because it'll hold on mm-hmm. to something or or something, you know? Well, what they do is they switch out magnetism halfway through for mind control and they just pretend like it's the same thing. That's the... That is that is one of the big problems with this is how it shifts yes. to that right. I I I I do not disagree with that one bit. Yep. So, but I do think the rest of this scene plays out fun enough. Like you know, Indy mm-hmm. like they have a bit of a standoff, and Indy ends up using his whip, and he starts running across the top of the boxes, and he's jumping from gunfire, and it's an okay little comedy beat where he like uses the whip to swing, and he tries to get to the truck, but the joke being, oh, he's too old and he can't quite make it, so he ends up swinging right. back into the other truck. That's a fun little bit. Like I think. Most of the set piece of, like, this part, right? And even the uh, the next part where he's fighting the Russian dude and they mm-hmm. end up on... I don't even know what you call this thing, but the thing that goes really fast. This, this rocket test, car. This rocket, rocket sled. Yeah, whatever it is, right? I actually... I was very, really about to get upset because I could... Obviously, I remembered that the, the nuke was coming and I mm-hmm. thought when he, like, backed into the button and the countdown starts, like, wait, is that the nuke? Like, surely it's harder to turn on a nuke than just bumping it in one button. <laughs> ah, man, this was back in 57. We didn't have any sort of safeguards. But I, 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 did, I did enjoy that because I appreciated when that slowed down eventually at the end. Uh, they're both like dizzy and they, you know, he can't really do anything. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that was a fun enough little bit. It had the hijinks of like the Indiana Jones franchise. Like, this was all fine enough. Like, I didn't really have too many major complaints. Like, I get the magnetism as a problem, but for the most part, I, I was I was okay with things until this point. And okay. then... It, now, I, I want to pause you in that okay. I do disagree somewhat. Okay, okay. In that, I think that this movie did a good job right up until the rocket sled. 
because oh. I think that then him jumping through the warehouse, him doing that, it struck me as all the previous indie films where they give you the setting. They show you here's like what you're working with, a bunch of boxes and guys with guns and some cars. And they just play through all the different situations. They play through, okay, well, he's trying to swing to a car. They're shooting at him, but he's hiding behind boxes. Like, they play through all of them. And I like all that. Same as you. So so what you're saying is, is that they showed you all the toys in the toy box and then used them all. Yep. And I am totally cool with that. And then all of a sudden, to carry on the metaphor, they pulled out a different toy box. And they're like, <laughs> look at my rocket sled. We're going to put this in the play now. That... And they used it for exactly one thing. And then threw it away. And that's where I feel like it's more so about the spectacle at that point than building a good scene. That's that's a fair critique. I, I think I think that's perfectly valid. I, I think ultimately I'm not going to get that down on that just because we're just starting to go down the side of the mountain. And right. this, this is the least of the movie's problem. But you're, you're right. Like This does come out of nowhere. You can kind of logic it a little bit and that this is a testing area and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But, like, you know, it's not set up. That's fair. Yeah. Um, now, I do think the visual of Indy going through, like, a fake town that's uh, there for eventual nuclear testing is an interesting visual. Mm-hmm. So I get a temptation to do that. But, like, there is no reason why there had to be a nuke test happening, like, this day. It just happens to be that way. So the Indy's now in this situation where he's in this fake town as a nuke's about to hit him. And what do we get? We get him hiding in a fridge, which the camera points out is lead-lined. We see that. Mm-hmm. And he survives a nuke by just hiding in the fridge. And not only that, the way this fridge bounces when the nuke hits, every even if he survives the nuke itself, every bone in his body should be shattered the way he bounces in this fridge. All right. Let me, let me, let me throw this at you and you okay. tell me your opinion. Ignoring the explosion itself, because that is a completely, whether or not it should have atomized that fridge, ignoring that. With the bouncing around in the fridge, do you think that is more or less believable than out of the plane from Temple of Doom? It's a good thing you said ignoring the explosion, because I feel like when you include the nuke itself, obviously it's more silly. But just the bouncing in the fridge versus the on the raft out the plane and then the way it flipped mm-hmm. and flopped and landed in the water. Yep. Hmm. See, for me, I still come down on nuke. I still come down on, like, at I, least the raft had, like, air resistance so that it slowed stuff down. Yeah, like, I... I, I will... Yeah, I, I would probably come down the side that the fridge is still more stupid ignoring the nuke mm-hmm. because... There's no way you would not be crushed and smashed and dead. At least with the 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 physics with that 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 raft was all mm. weird, but at least it could flip just enough times that maybe just maybe you land just the right way that you <laughs> won't immediately be killed, like violently. Like yeah, ma- like I there's a fraction of a tiny percentage of a chance. <laughs> so yeah. I will say that this is still more silly. Obviously, when you factor in the nuke, which we literally see melting all the mannequins and like mm-hmm. shattering all the buildings, I'll—I I'll, mean, 
like i understand you say that like it's a cool visual of them walking around in like this town yeah, I, agree. Yeah. I think it is but it is so obvious from the moment the scene begins that the entire reason the scene exists is for that oh, yeah. final shot of oh, him coming over the hill and looking at the, the mushroom cloud well that's that's the thing if you really want the shot of him with the mushroom cloud then just have like the test happen when he's like on his way out like ha- have him mm-hmm. still just escape right and just see it from a safe distance and it was yeah. you, you get your big shot without us going why like you, you they've put themselves in this corner and then answered it with just this silly thing that i think for most people is just too silly like i get you're setting a tone and you're saying this is the sort of silly pulpy movie that we can do something this absurd in yeah. but i think indiana jones is late more than that it's like to not not in a super serious way but in a more serious way than that there are definitely levels to this there's a gradient mm-hmm. of like w- the appropriate amount of like oh not realistic but fun that we can roll with and then there's a level of no now you're just saying that there's no rules to anything and that nothing matters because you can just survive anything in the first movie there was a scene played for romantic reasons but there still was a scene where he had to get bandaged up from being like stabbed and shot at mm. as soon as you have this scene he is superman he is unable to be hurt by any blade or sword like it's 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 done yeah and yeah it's, it's just he's invincible at that point so it completely breaks the flow of okay well i i don't think that there's going to be even tension anymore because how could anything even be a danger to him when theoretically god himself could not smite down indiana jones after this now you're right there's no tension after this there's no, there's uh, that i think it's the main problem is that you know we talk about it feeling uh clean and sanitized because it's all the sound stage you combine that with there being no threat of him actually being in danger or hurt and you mm-hmm. have something that's just so toothless and it feels like just a a nostalgia ride with nothing yeah. in it to actually give you any stakes or feel like anything is going to have any consequence and mm-hmm. that is the the biggest problem with it um like like i say i i will stick up a little bit for the concept of like revolving the mystery around a traditional alien right and the idea that some culture has built something around it, it ends up being literal they built a temple around the ufo mm-hmm. but like even without that part of it like it would still be a fine idea but we'll get when we get to the end we'll talk about why it goes so, so, but even before we get to the end, I though, mean, what you were yeah, already but, bringing up with the the magnetism turning into telepathy. All well, of a not even the not even that part. They at this point they've already explained like, okay, here's this extra stuff going on. In that, not only is it aliens and a ancient civilization that is like worshiping them. I'm also cool with that. That sounds like a great idea. But the city itself is El Dorado. The city of gold, which is its mm-hmm. own myth, completely separate. And to mash those two together, it just feels like a hat on a hat. At halfway through the movie, though, we also throw in the Nazca lines, which are these mysterious geoglyphs, like massive drawings that were carved into the earth. It's too much. They're throwing in way too many things all into this one mystery, and they're pretending it's all the same thing. It really, and that's what gets me. That really feels like they really did not think they would be doing any more. Like, it's, right. or, at the very least, it felt like Spielberg didn't think he would do any more, and that Lucas didn't think he'd be doing any more. So they wanted am, to throw in all the things they wanted to do. I am borderline certain that there was some draft of this script where they were like, okay, and then the opening is Indy finds Bigfoot. 
<laughs> because it's like, why not? Just do it at this point. That said, though, I do think that there is also sequel bait and that the studio were hoping that Mott Williams would continue the franchise. Oh, there's, yeah. There's no denying that. that. Like, not only is it an obvious thing to do, but the, there's the thing at the end that is like, it looks you right in the camera and says, hey, he's the new Indy, right? He's going to uh, be the new Indy. Look, look, look. We're not going to directly hand him the torch, but like, if you as an audience were cool with that, we're going to we're gonna do that. And then the audience said, no. <laughs> and they said, fair enough. We'll see you in 15 years. <laughs> when everyone's nostalgic again for Indy after you forget yeah. the stink of this one. <laughs> so... There's a scene here where Indy's being like debriefed by two FBI guys, which mm-hmm. I want to point out, because I actually really like one of these actors, uh, Joel Stoffer, who was Enoch on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Really? Okay. Yeah, I actually knew the the other guy, Neil Flynn, whose, mm. I think, biggest role would be the janitor on Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. I did recognize him, but like I, mm-hmm. I like the other guy a lot. So I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. it's Enoch. I've not seen this since I watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I was happy to see him. Uh, yeah. He also popped up in the last season of Stranger Things. So, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, okay. he's popped gotcha. up around here or there. Uh, and then I was sad because then I was like, oh, we're never seeing these two again. Like, <laughs> like yeah, you set all this so, stuff up in the scene that they're suspicious of Indy because he was working with this guy that's turned out to be working with the Soviets. And you right. set up these themes. There's, there's like a couple of lines and the next couple scenes about how Jim Broadbent's complaining Oh, you know, the government now, or they're all suspicious of everyone looking for communists, that, you know, our jobs are a threat. And then right. this is so, like, not relevant to anything the movie does for the rest of the duration. Right, but I wanted it to be. I, <laughs> I think that would have been a fantastic background theme to this, of this, like, who can you trust? And it's playing on the paranoia of the Red Scare. But instead, it's like the C-plot in Mac's story. And even then, it doesn't matter of, like, communists or whatever it's It's, just mac as an individual is a dick his thing maybe it's there to stand in for that mistrust of people maybe being communists from you know this era but Mm -hmm. it never feels like that it just feels like no he's just a greedy prick who might be siding with the bad guys because he likes money yeah (laughs) that's it but like i i could see this like one because i guess now would be a decent enough time to talk about kate blanchett as the villain um her whole thing the entire reason that she's doing this is that she is well-renowned in Russia or whatever for her knowledge. She knows things before other people, and she believes that these, uh, the Crystal Skull, which hey, we'll get to. Actually, before you get to that, mm-hmm. in the opening scene, she seemingly tries to read Indiana Jones's mind. Yeah. And then when it doesn't work, she goes, oh, well, we'll have to go find this thing then, because it'll help me improve my ability. I'm like, like, did, did she actually have a telepathic ability before this point? Who knows? I mean, I'm okay with that, leaving it as a mystery, that she's just, like, this enigmatic person who believes in all the hoodoo mysticism. I'm good with that. I mean, that's fine. I just, I just I felt like they never really brought it up. Like, to they imply... Did, no. Yeah, to, to imply that she maybe has some small telepathic ability mm-hmm. and then just never, like... Every, I mean, the, the, the idea that she's got a thirst for it and that she's determined to find this because she wants to have super telepath powers and that's why she wants to find the crystal skull and the, the hidden mm-hmm. chambers of Eldorado or whatever. Fine, yeah. whatever. But, although, it would be nice if it, like, because I think with the earlier films, when you had the Nazis looking for stuff, it always felt like it fit into this idea that Hitler's got his people looking for things that will make him even more powerful. And it always kind of fit into, like, the idea of what the Nazis were up to. Because, like, you know, I mean, how true any of them are, are open yeah. for debate. But there's always, like, been these horror stories of, like, oh, them doing experiments, trying to uncover superpowers, or, you, mm-hmm. know, it, it, you know, bizarre shit like that. So it plays into those kind of myths and 
uh, along with right. like that setting. Whereas here, I feel like these are Soviets because it's the fifties, but there's nothing about it really feels like it ties into Soviet interests. Yeah, that's, or... that's the thing is that barring Temple of Doom, if we're just talking about the Nazis, then it was never a thing of the individual believed in the hoodoo. It was yeah. more so that it was for the larger cause, except for the rich guy in um last crusade donovan yeah he he kind of but like he wasn't even with the nazis he was just capitalist so no it was always a thing of look hitler wants this thing and we're just after it and the same thing with indy where he's like look the museum's gonna get it i'm just after it nobody really believed in the mysticism of it until they got their hands on it this lady goes in and she's like nah man there's some crazy stuff in that warehouse and you're gonna get it for me which doesn't sound on paper bad. No, right? not at all. On paper, that sounds completely fine that the villain actually gives a shit about what they're looking for. But it's, it's because she she represents herself. She yeah. doesn't represent the Soviets as a whole. Which I guess is that, that's what I'm getting at. Is that She doesn't really feel like she's representing the setting or the time period that they're in. It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. she's tied to that other than just they've given her the accent and said, oh, she's, yeah. she's, she's a Soviet. But it doesn't matter that she's a Soviet. It doesn't. Yeah, you know, it doesn't really feel like it's a important part. Look, of her we're character. not saying all the Soviets are crazy. We're just saying she's a Soviet and she's crazy. <laughs> yes. I, so yeah, I, I think that's a, a fundamental failing of it as well. Uh, mm. We do see the school again. I'm glad they didn't try to give all the teen girls uh, lusting after Harrison. It wouldn't have felt right given that he's now an old man. I I was waiting for it though. I was <laughs> waiting for just like one background shot of a girl just like drawing a heart in her notebook or something. If anything, what might have worked, I didn't need to do this, but what might have worked better as a reference to that is that he almost seems disappointed that no one's listening after him anymore. Like, he got used to it, and now he's old, and he's like, ah, oh, no one's flirting? Uh, okay. You get the shot You get the shot from Raiders with the girl who, like, slowly blinks her eyes, and it has something written on her eyelids. Mm-hmm. You get that where a girl's slowly blinking her eyes, and he looks over, and then she just does, like, a huge yawn because she doesn't even care about the class anymore. <laughs> And yeah. he's just like okay or, or maybe he sees something written but then he looks again and there's nothing there or so you know like just mm. like ah you know he's not being lusted after anymore but yeah he is let go or he's suspended at least because uh mm. the fbi think he's suspicious and he's on mccarthy's list yeah and that's basically the end of the fbi involvement or influence on the plot is just that yep. uh but he's going to go off looking for something it doesn't really matter what because mutt williams uh stops him he's out you know, he's getting on the train and this is where mutt williams comes on and he's bike through the smoke yeah. and he's got his little cap on and he's oh it's i i, I just i started laughing because like there's they're something just so like he doesn't fit it like he he looks like a young actor no. who's been put in a costume and he's trying to have a look um like I think trying to have a greaser in the movie for the time period does make a lot of sense, but yeah, I think the biggest issue is the fact that he just doesn't like. I could see him in the 1950s, but I think he actually would have worked as like the jock. Mm. Like he, I could see him wearing a Letterman jacket. I can't see him as this dude who's always combing his hair back and is wearing the leather jackets. Even as I'm looking at him, I still can't see him in it. I mean, I suppose it works to an extent in the. You know, it's made very clear that he's always trying to put on this tough act to prove that he's tough, mm. right? He's try, he's like, he's he's try hard, effectively. So, oh, I guess it kind of works in the sense that he wants to be seen as a greaser, but he always kind of looks like he's he's cosplaying as one. But he he wants to put that that across. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's fine. Actually, so I want to do a little. I, I was flabbergasted watching this because not too long ago, Picard season three ended, okay. and there's some parallels to this movie that are. Oh no! Shocking, actually. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, so, the idea that we get this young character shows up. Uh, mm-hmm. It's revealed that he's Marion's son. And then later on in the film, she eventually you know, spills the beans that, oh, by the way, Andy, this is your son. You're his father. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that's specific to these things, but because you know, both Picard is like the old actor coming back, we're doing the send-off, we're doing the nostalgia. Um, oh, shit, by the way, this young guy's your son. And he may, you may be passing the torch to him if people like him. Um, don't get me wrong. Jack Crusher and Picard, much better than Mutt, right? Oh, you know, he's, he's much, much better. But... okay. You know, the parallels, like, just the, the way it was, like, sort of, like, the way it was, like, here he is, oh, it's her son, oh, it's also Indy's son. Like, they're just, the, the the steps of revealing it were just the mm-hmm. exact same, and it just, it kind of threw me for a loop when I was yeah. realizing it. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm trying to think of other examples of it, but really it only ever works in, like, franchises. After yeah. you've been endeared to the character for long enough time, and then say, by the way, here's a, like, I guess the biggest one that would work for us is Batman. Where back in two thousand nine, they were just like, "By the way, Batman, here's your son." Sure, just sure. Him out yeah. there. Um, the difference being, of course, Batman hadn't been gone for decades and came back, and now we're trying right. to pass the torch. Like, I think was, I think that's almost like depressingly impressive about this movie is that this is from before we got all these nostalgia sequels and all these like continuations that feel kind of like fan fiction. But mm-hmm. this really does hit all of the obvious beats of the 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 fan it's yeah. not fan made but it feels like a, a a fan fiction sequel where oh he's back with marion they're going to get married at the end and he's got a son who could be the new indiana like it all just feels so predictable and obvious in a way that's not satisfying and there's no and i don't necessarily need there to be twists but i i, I like i just wanted to feel like the creators had an idea to do something interesting, and instead it's exactly the safe cookie-cutter thing that, that they could have oh, produced, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, that's... I mean, for me, it feels like they had a very weak outline of, like, okay, we want to do something with aliens and an ancient civilization. I saw it on History Channel one night. And then... <laughs> that's so right! This is probably when the Ancient Aliens was on History Channel. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I I get that, you know, they had a weak storyline there, but then the very next draft of the script was not improving the story. It was inserting the fans. It yes. was inserting like, okay, we're going to have his and Marion's son. We're going to have the Ark of the Covenant's going to show up in this scene. We're going to have like all these little ditties for everyone to know, like, hey, we know it's been, I guess at that point, 20 years. Like, we know it's been that long. We We remember you. We know what you want. And in yeah. the end, they didn't get it anyway, so. So, we have a scene in a diner. Uh, some Soviets come after them. After mm-hmm. there's, there's some exposition here where he's like, yeah, Marion sent me this letter and blah, 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 blah. But it, 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 all, it's all just like, this sets up we have to go to this other location. But we get this chase with the Soviets. Uh, we get the jocks and the greasers kind of thing in the diner to sort of distract mm-hmm. the Soviets and get in the way. But this is the motorbike chase which has the stunt work it has indy kind of like going into a car and like climbing out and climbing back onto the motorbike it has Mm -hmm. the big ending in the library where they slide under the tables which i want to point out here the indy here at the end of this scene says to the student who asked a question 
if you want to learn anything about archaeology, get out of the library. This is directly contradicting the <laughs> false advice that he gave them in Last Crusade, where he says, real archaeology is done in books, it's done in the library. It's not this adventure shit. And we knew he was lying, though, so maybe you could oh, read yeah. this as him being like, oh, no, he's more honest than his old age. <laughs> yeah, this is the point where he's like, I'm done with this. Whoever wants to take over, by all means. <laughs> I give you a chuckle. Uh, you also get the comedy beat here with the the car crashes into the statue of Brody in the head, like mm. which on them. having not watched last crusade, like before seeing this movie back when I was a kid. Yeah. I had no idea. Like I didn't recognize it. I had no idea who that was. And I don't think the movie did a good enough job in movie of setting it up. So when it hit the statue and his head fell off and they like paused on it for a beat, I was like, is that, is that his dad? Is that who, who am I looking at here? I think it was too much. Um, I, I think mm. just having the one photo of him in the university would have been yeah. enough. Um, not that I have a problem with the photos of him and his dad on his desk, but I actually think there's a better moment towards the end to reference Sean Connery's character that felt oh, more yeah. natural to me. Uh, when Indy calls Mutt Jr., I think that is the perfect reference that makes you think of the Sean Connery character without beating you over the head with it that felt like a nice, like, you know, for all the yeah. things I don't like in this movie... Him calling, him accepting his son by calling him Junior, like Sean Connery called him, was the perfect way to do it. Without you, oh, yeah. you know, you have you have him say Junior, and then you have Mutt say, "Don't call me Junior." That's yeah, it. perfect. That's all yeah. you needed. That, that, like that is perfect. He, he did ruin it a little bit by saying, "Ah, oh, your grandfather's looking down and laughing." I'm like, you didn't need that part. That's the you're yeah. you're overdoing it now. But just calling him Junior and having him react proper properly. Mm-hmm. that's actually the perfect way to make that reference and make you think of the dad and make you feel like the legacy of those movies is still very much all you know yeah part of this right except for temple of doom except for <laughs> i was going to say the line that indy has where marion says oh i bet there was tons of women after me and he says something like oh there were a few but you know they all had a problem they weren't you which is meant to be a mm-hmm. sweet line I was going to say, oh, maybe that's kind of a reference to the love interest, but no, that was set before, so that doesn't even count right. in that. Exactly. <laughs> that does, Willie doesn't even count in the, the post Marion woman. Can I, like, that's also just one thing I want to throw out here. Uh, they establish, they say the timeline is Raiders happened. Yes. They were apparently slated to get married, and Indy basically ran out a week before the wedding. Yes. Did did that all happen before Last Crusade? I think so. Uh, which, by the way, the only love interest that we got for Indy then that set after Raiders was the one who turned out to be a Nazi, and her only mm. problem is she wasn't <laughs> married. I mean, I'd assume that there's some... Because obviously, in the middle of that, World War II happened. Yes, so yes. I'd assume that there was something there, but... Oh, no, I, no, I'm sure there was other love interests in his life. I'm just saying that from an audience perspective, the only one we actually have that set after marrying yeah. turned out to be an Nazi. <laughs> I mean, That's that would have been funny. a much better line. It's like, oh, there were plenty of other women. What was wrong with them? They were Nazis. <laughs> uh, there was one it that just I... kept happening. <laughs> there was one that I kind of liked, but she turned out to be a Nazi, you know? <laughs> Also, she slept with my dad. Anyway. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> oh, dear. Which, uh... I mean, hell, if he really wants to bond with his son, maybe he should go out and sleep with much girlfriend at some point. Oh, yeah, exactly. He's like, so much, you seeing anybody? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, they they go to... Was it Peru they go to like, find this yep. 
This, they go this... to the the Nazca lines, basically. Yeah. Which I do want to. I, this part of the movie is a lot of Harrison Ford just educating not only Mutt but the audience. Mm. Like it's I understand all the movies have had a brief little segment where Indy's like, "Oh, this is that thing," and it leads to this other thing. I'm cool with that. But it feels like we're on a science show at certain points in this movie. Like at one point they go down into this crypt and Mutt gets stung by a scorpion and he freaks out, rightly so. And then Indy's like, ah, don't worry, Mutt. If it's a big scorpion, they're actually less venomous. And I'm like, that's that. this entire sequence meant nothing. Why are we doing a science lesson on well, scorpions? I think in the moment I assumed that meant that a villain was going to get bit by a small scorpion later and we would know mm-hmm. as the audience it was dangerous because... He said that to us, but yeah. uh, I don't no. think it ever came up. There's ants. We get ants, but even they're huge, so... Yeah. Um, you don't want big ants, though. Big ants are bad. Mm. Yeah, big ants are bad. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... I feel like after the opening, there's never really any stretch of time where Indy's on his own being an adventurer. Mm-hmm. He's either just with Mutt, or we get to the point where he's literally with, like, four other characters. Like, the entire third act, he is with a team of characters who are constantly yeah. there with him. He's never on his own doing stuff. And don't get me wrong, the other movies did have him often with one other character at various points, but there was always parts where he would go off and do something heroic on his own. Yeah. And it felt like maybe, again, it's an age thing where it's like, oh no, we, to, to disguise the fact that he can't do as much physically, we have to always have him in a group so that we can do, you know, the more actiony thing can be Mutt. And then he can interact with, with Ray Winston, he can interact with Mary, and he can mm-hmm. interact with eventually John Hart, whoever it is. But I felt like there was just a lot of, like, too much of a group vibe as the movie went on. Yeah. I mean, especially the fact that it consistently, almost at, like, a heartbeat sort of pace, it kept growing. It yeah. wasn't like it's it's all of a sudden shot up by, like, three or four. It was, we have Mutt. Now we have Mutt and Marion. Now we have Oxley, Mutt, and Marion. Now we have Mac back as well. And it just kept going up until you hit the end of the movie. And you're in, like, the final room, and there's, like, eight people there. Yeah. No, but... It felt, it felt like too much of a group dynamic for the most of the movie. And so they go to this crypt looking for the Crystal Skull, which was originally here, but then it turns out John Hurt put it back here for Indy to find. Right. <laughs> which, okay, uh, this is where we get the, the part time. There is a, there's a little good moment here because there's, like, uh, there's like a tribe that are hiding around. The first time one of them moves in this pit with, with like, a mask on, it actually has a effectively creepy little moment where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, they're actually jumping in and, like, hiding again and going into these little crevices on the the walls or whatever it is. And, okay, yeah. that was effective enough. Uh, I think it was less effective the second time they did it in the same movie. I No, I agree with that. I think what really got me the second time, though, which is in the third act, is that when they're coming out of the bits of the wall, it's crumbling like they've been in there a long time. And I'm like, wait... Right? Like, surely this is something they come in and out of because they're, you know, living their lives. Uh, Turns out the Holy Grail just fell down into a pit and one of these guys <laughs> got it, and they've just been chilling in the walls ever since. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately from here, uh, as soon as they came out with the Crystal Skull, the bad guys are there, they get captured. So mm-hmm. we get a whole section where they're in a camp with the bad guys. This is where John Hurt is. It's also where Marion is. They all get introduced here, effectively. Yep. Um, until Mutt just Which decides... I think, I think oh. this is, like, exactly halfway through the movie. Some of that, yeah. More or less. Um, and there's a whole scene where, like, they try and connect 
Indy's mind with the skull because the, because the skull messed up John Hurt's mind, right? Oxley's right. mind was messed up by the skull and that's why he's sort of talking gibberish. But you can kind of like, if you know what he's talking about, you can kind of understand parts of it and that's what they're hoping Indy's going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. But Indy is like hooked up to it and apparently he hears enough from it to know that this thing wants to go back to where the rest of the skulls are. It wants to go back to Eldorado and join the matching set so something can happen, right? Which, like, I don't, <laughs> like, they just, it feels like they forgot what this prop was for in between these scenes. Because they <laughs> they just, they have this whole thing of, they're, they're literally having Indiana Jones hold it, looking dead at it, holding it up to the audience to look at, holding it up for Mutt to look at, and just like, what is this thing? It's magnetic, but it's to weird things. What's going on? Next scene happens, and we're told that, oh, if you stare into its eyes, it's just going to entrench, like, you can't look away, and your mind's just going to melt. It's a completely different story. That's entirely separate from what we were seeing before. Which, I wouldn't have a problem so much with it being able to do both, but the magnetization never comes up again, I don't think. Right. <laughs> and what's what's also weird is the fact that the opening scene... Now, we've always said that, like, you know, the opening scenes of these Indiana Jones films are just his last adventure. Yeah, which is not really true up. in this case. Right. This is still this adventure. It's just a different part of it. But what's weird is that it was all to get the corpse of the alien that was in Roswell, and they bring it back in this scene with Kate Blanchett saying, I thought that that skull would work just as well. Turns out it didn't, so we're just going to go with your skull. So the entire reason we got that alien out of Roswell is just entirely for the purpose of like, no, they're not just carved out of stone or crystals. They're real aliens. Wow. Matt just decides to start fighting and they make a run for it uh, yeah. is, is basically it. Which, and they don't get away because they end up, it's not quite quicksand. They said something else. Uh, it's but, as it's a sand pit or something. You know, yeah. What it actually is is a fifteen by fifteen set where you can very <laughs> clearly see the borders of. Yes, yes. All, all all of these scenes at the camp, the scenes at the uh the the, the dig site before where the where the mm-hmm. native people were attacking them, like all these scenes felt super like soundstage to me. Yep. Um. But yeah, there's so the whole thing here is they use a snake as a rope to like pull Indy out. He doesn't want to, which. <sighs> It's like, I get that you want to fit in somewhere Indiana Jones reacting to a snake because it's his, his gimmick. He's scared of snakes. Sounds like a YouTube algorithm nightmare. I know, but Indiana just... Jones reacts to <laughs> a snake. But I don't know, it's, it felt so forced to me. Oh, um, yeah. And I can't help because but feel... It's, it's forced because you just look around on the trees and there's plenty of vines. Yeah. Any of those would have worked. Or a branch, just a longish branch would have yeah. done the trick. But instead, we're doing the snake for the for the, the comedy, and I also just can't help but feel like you know, like actually gripping the snake tight enough to be pulled out of a pit like this would be mm-hmm. like it probably deeply damaging to the snake. Oh no, that snake is dead. Yeah, no, I mean I don't really like snakes, but I still, yeah. you know, it's weird that no one seems to care about the snake's well-being at all. <laughs> I was gonna say if the snake like. When they were down in the pit in Raiders, those snakes were actively coming after them to kill them. Yes. And, like, they were venomous. Like, that makes sense of, okay, these snakes, it's either them or me. This one, they go out of their way to say, like, this snake is harmless. It can't possibly hurt you. Rip its head off. <laughs> so the bad guys just get them again, and then 
we, then we have the truck sequence where they start fighting back right we have a little mm-hmm. bit of banter with them in the back of the truck where this is where the you're the father thing comes up yeah um <laughs> i just i just realized if they rephrased it slightly they could sort of do a play on empire like uh indy you are his father no that's impossible <laughs> Uh, and there's like a running gag that starts about here where Mutt doesn't like that Indy and Marion are being flirty and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, yeah. So I do, I do want to bring up at this point just one of the little trivia bits I found. Oh, go on. is that they they say, okay, how did she get the last name of Williams? And turns out that after Indy left, she was already pregnant with his son, obviously. And there was a British Air Force pilot named Colin Williams who Indy actually introduced them to. And she married him. And that's the guy that Mutt thought was his father until he died in the war. Turns out that I saw an interview with the guy who basically is the keeper of Indiana Jones continuity. Like he keeps track of that stuff for Lucasfilm. He's the same guy who also does it for uh, Star Wars. Mm -hmm. The only thing that they were told was off limits to write about in any like side stories or extra materials is the how Marion's and Colin's life happened post indie that's the only thing they were never allowed to explore interesting yeah which it's it's such a specific little bit and i don't understand why because i personally i think it would be kind of interesting of like oh you have this pilot guy he could go on adventures as well you could have a little side story to indiana but nope it's just colin accountant I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting in that they don't want it. It's, it's not interesting otherwise. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so we get our, our big scenes here where uh, at one point a truck actually like drives over their truck and like takes off the top of the truck. Right. So they're going through the jungle and the truck in the lead is this giant like saw truck that's the, meant to mow down trees. Yeah, yeah. It's cutting down the trees and stuff. Yeah. So that's meant to clear a path for these other trucks, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's a very dense jungle. So the first truck they destroy is the saw truck, and then they proceed to go on a four-mile-long trek through this jungle without any paths being cleared. Does that sound about right to you? That sounds about right, yeah. Okay. Just... Just, just seems a bit weird to me, the fact that they made the point of we have to clear out the jungle, and then at no point is there anything in their way. The entire rest of the time. That is that is fair. I, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's hard to kind of sum up. There's just, there's a lot of the usual like punching and like kicking out of the trucks mm. and things like that. But obviously, none of it's anywhere nearly as good as the one from Raiders. No, not, not even good, because it's all fake. It's not yeah. there. Uh, the uh, one thing that they do really comment on is that apparently Mutt dropped out of school, and yes. one thing that he was good at was fencing. So they decided to make that his thing. He can't handle a whip, but he can sword fight. So yeah, he sword fights with Kate Blanchett when they're both standing in different trucks, yeah, going mm-hmm. side by side. And then he gets caught up in a vine, which leads to him swinging through the trees with the monkeys. You know what's great is I'm looking at the IMDb like synopsis <laughs> here, and yeah. they don't talk about it. They don't even want to bother with it. <laughs> I just... Does this serve any story purpose? Does this scene help the story at all that he is on the truck with his father he's suddenly caught up in a vine and then he swings his way back over to the truck where his father is it 
much like the nuke the fridge thing mm-hmm. it's it feels like just this tacked on extra thing that the scene doesn't need right that yeah. the movie doesn't need and maybe it's still like hey he can swing through trees he can sword fight see that's why you want him as your next uh indie hero yeah right that, that's what they're going for maybe but um i don't know george lucas like he likes juicy shit you know the, the uh, we haven't even mentioned the uh what was it the start the the t- the animals the, at the start. The, the uh, gophers. They're not. Yeah, they're like gophers or meerkats or something. Yeah, and uh, like there's a lot of emphasis emphasis on them, and then even like when Indy like after the nuke, he lands next to one and looks at it, and it's like, wait a minute, and I'm like, yeah, this is the guy who liked Ewoks. Like that, the the guy who yeah. put this in here obviously liked the Ewoks because this is the sort of shit, and the monkeys feel the same to me. It's like, oh, it's a bit with the monkeys. And... <laughs> I mean, I don't. The only thing I could think if is not trying to sell Mutt as look how great he is in all these situations is that George Lucas just went back down into that well of I can merchandise the crap out of some cute little animals. And that's the like, even if the fact of nobody's going to buy the Indiana Jones themed gopher toy, but <laughs> no. he just there was something in him where he's like, I have to put something cute because kids like cute. It, it's his thing. And even um, if we're going to like compare more things to like his sensibilities and how he does things in Star Wars, specifically mm-hmm. the prequels because they're more relevant because they're more you know near this, is you know John Hart rambling and not being able to make any sense or string a sentence together is a lot like one of the droids in his Star Wars movies. Or yeah, yeah, or, or even I don't know. Yeah, like I'm getting some of those vibes. Yeah, I can see it. I think I do want to point out here that. I think this movie was done a major disservice by the fact that like a decade later, John Hurt starred as the doctor in Doctor Who for mm. a special. And he's basically kind of doing the same exact dialogue the whole way through, but it's so much better there than it is here. That That is accurate. I've seen that part of Doctor mm-hmm. Who and he like, I don't love Doctor Who by any means, but it's definitely better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. Well, most of it. Some of it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of episodes of Doctor Who, okay? It's got its ups and its downs. But, oh, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, so we do this whole thing here where the truck ends up in the water, right? In fact, I can't just say that. I can't just gloss over this. No, Marion, you Marion drives off a cliff into a big tree that's very springy, and it just lowers them down safely into the water. See, this is this is George Lucas. He went on to those forums where everyone was complaining about the raft in Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. And he's like, fine, I'll lower the boat safely into the water. You happy now? And everyone went, no, because that's equally stupid, but yeah. regardless. It's just it's just it's just it's just more stupidity. And then for I, I got really annoyed at the characters because John Hart keeps saying, Oh, there's three drops. And mm-hmm. like Marion keeps going, What does he mean? And I'm like, it's obvious there's gonna be three waterfalls, you idiots. See, he says it much, much earlier on before we're even on the river. Yeah, yeah. And I get that from a sense of, okay, we're setting it up and then we're paying it off. But there's no reason he should have thought they would have been in a boat at this point. Like, Uh, yeah, yeah. He could have just taken the hill down. Yeah, I think you have to go through the water, though, because you have to go then through the top of the waterfall where the big skull on the side of the mountain is to go in. I mean, you say that, but doesn't, doesn't, uh, What's her name? Get there as well, and I don't think she went over the waterfalls. 
not over the waterfalls, but they, they still have to go down the three drops. Yeah, to okay, get, fair enough. You know, as long I guess the drops I was taking to literally mean yeah. the waterfall itself. But yeah, they they go down three waterfalls and land very neatly each time in this. It's not even a boat; it's a truck. It's a truck with say, the top of it cut off. The first two they land neatly in that they're all still in the boat. The third one they die. Oh yeah, the third like one. The same, yeah, yeah, the third one does they, split them all out. Yeah. They come out of the boat, the but boat they are, is destroyed. They are all fine, though. None of them have a scratch yep. on them. <laughs> yep. Which, again, just goes back to that sanitized thing. Like, I think they're perfectly dry not more than, like, ten minutes later. Yeah, so they they go through and, like, there's a bit of, oh, caves, whatever, uh, temple mm-hmm. shit. Oh, there's natives here who are protecting the actual main part of all this. Uh, yep. But luckily they're scared of the skulls, so we get through that quite quickly. Sorry, something that we skipped over because of the monkey swinging scene yeah, was the giant ant scene. Oh yeah, a dude gets like consumed by a swarm of ants. That is, I think that's the grossest the movie ever. This whole sequence is the grossest the movie ever gets because Kate Blanchett also squishes two of these giant ants mm. and they, they go through the extra effort to have the guts of the ants hit the lens. Well, honestly, I think there's not a bec- better way to show the sanitization of the way like the the movies made versus the the old ones and mm. the Kate Blanchett's eventual demise right which is yeah. supposed to be the gross out the villain goes in a really nasty way which all the other three movies had right they, they had the mm-hmm. face melting at the end of the raiders uh you had the gators the gators then the two third one had the the aging thing right with the mm-hmm. the guy drinking the grill this one and in th- theory, like, I can see the effect when she's pulled up into this portal and like, her body's kind of like ripped apart as she goes. In theory, that sounds quite gnarly, but because it's all CG, it just never has that disgusting quality that any of those earlier three movies well, had. She just, she just Thanos snaps out. She just dissolves into ash before she gets up there. But there's like a little like hint of like the 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 layer under her flesh. You know, you can see a bit of red. Mm. You can see a bit, and I think they were going for that gross out. But it's so, you know, like you say, CG and so Thanos, mm-hmm. just like snapping the fingers that it just never has that that bite to it. Yeah. Um, but so I actually I, I'm okay with a temple being built around the UFO, right? The the, mm-hmm. the the problems I have with this ending. Okay, there's a couple of them. Uh, one is for some reason they tack on this thing where John Hurt says oh, they're not from space, they're interdimensional demons, or aliens. And I'm like, wait, why? Why are you tacking that on? Like, they look like classic aliens, this is a classic flying saucer, just stick to the... But for some reason, that doesn't add anything to anything in the movie, it doesn't, like, give it a layer or a theme that plays with other things. It's out of nowhere he says, no, no, they're from another dimension. The the only thing that I could think when they said it is the fact that they didn't want to have to explain like, oh, Star Wars is actually also in the indie canon because <laughs> aliens are real and they just came from a galaxy far, far away. It's just, no, the, it's, they're totally separate things. We don't have to discuss that. To, to me, it just felt like an extra detail to add on just for the sake of, see, it's not exactly the, the classic sci-fi thing you were thinking the whole time. There's an extra layer to it, but it's not really, it's just, it's, it's a couple of lines of dialogue that mean nothing because it's still a big flying saucer that comes out of the ground. But the other problem I have, right, okay. other, other than just the wall of CG is this flying saucer's going up and all, and it's just, again, it's like Indy with the mushroom cloud where he's looking up at all the rocks falling down of the it's, flying it's saucer. It's the exact same shot. Yeah. They've just mirrored the shot. But the, the other big problem, though, is I'm okay with like finding 
you know the the skull or the skeleton of an alien and it being this oh, oh this is fascinating that, that'd be quite interesting oh there's an mm-hmm. alien that landed here thousands of years ago these cultures built stuff around it or used their technology to build some of their stuff and maybe that explains how certain pyramids were built because some of that's a bit of a mystery it's like how did they pull this off with their technology mm-hmm. at the time that kind of thing that'd be all right. fine where it completely and utterly loses me is that as soon as the skulls put into you know the, the skeleton right is that all the skeletons merge into one and we get an actual living cg alien that forms out of it this is shit this is just shit and they even try <laughs> to justify it like 30 seconds before. nothing in the movie justifies it but then 30 seconds before they say oh they were a hive mind one being with a split consciousness and as if that's supposed to be this justification for why a living breathing alien has just been chilling here for so long and that's the other thing is that the timeline doesn't even add up because what they had was this alien these aliens showed up like five thousand years ago to teach this culture how to do stuff and then in the 1500s some conquistadors showed up and took one of the skulls so that means that they were intact in their skeletal forms for like 1500 years minimum and then only in these last 500 years it's like oh actually i really want to be put back together again so i can go back into space no back into the space between spaces right my bad (laughs) that's in that's the important part and i again that stuff 100 percent agree with it's it's needlessly complicated this entire movie has been needlessly complicated Rather than just a simple little story of like, we have the MacGuffin or we want to get to the MacGuffin. How do we do this? I think the idea that aliens were here and there's some like evidence that there were aliens is far more interesting than, oh no, the alien's actually here and alive and we mm-hmm. get to see it wave goodbye before before it leaves. Like that to me just robs everything of like the mystique of it because there's just, oh, here's the CG alien. Here yeah. he is. Even then, if you want the the ship flying away at the end you can have remember at the beginning of the movie where indy hit the control panel for the rocket sled and it started going off same thing just have it be this is an uninhabited ship you hit some buttons or something something gets triggered and the ship automatically starts taking off honestly even better than that just have it so that when the skull gets put in the ship was meant to go home so just autopilots it just turns on and starts to rev up because like oh no it's set to go home after a certain amount of time and it's been wanting to do so for a while and now that the mm-hmm. skull's back, it's all just automatic. But no, they have a shitty CG alien who's alive, who reforms. Who's a genie, mind you, <laughs> in that it, it, as soon as it gets back together, it says, thank you for freeing me. What is your wish? And Kate Blanchett says, tell me everything. And then her brain explodes. Yes. Or catches on fire, I guess. And I also just want to throw out the fact that before they get into the main room where these crystal skulls were all kept mm-hmm. there's a little sub it it's that room from the mummy it's that room from national treasure where mm-hmm. it's all the treasure that you could possibly want and indy makes the point of they were archaeologists these aliens were collecting things from all these ancient cultures in order to study them because they themselves were archaeologists I, I I don't know about you. I just found that to be the stupidest little like, oh, see, we're not so different sort of thing. Like they're all India. We're we're all Indiana Jones a little bit, you know. <laughs> I actually, 
again, conceptually, I don't hate that idea. Like, see if you had a mystery here that was mm-hmm. like, okay, the first, like, there's three different things, say, that all feel like they shouldn't fit together. And then the reason why they're all kind of involved in the same mystery is because, no, 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 this alien force, like, was dipping into all of them. And that's why they're connected here in the plot of the movie. I'd be right. kind of okay with that, but I don't think it's set it up well enough that it just feels like a throwaway line when they get here. You know, it's, yeah. it's just kind of like out of nowhere, here's another idea, as opposed to paying off something that was actually properly set up earlier. I think I think that's my my big thing. No. Uh, yeah, no, it feels that's that's I think the biggest issue here is just the lack of focus on how they wanted to tell this story. In that the first three movies, everything was even like linked in a time sense. Despite the fact they were going after ancient relics, all the clues and stuff they were following were from a very specific point in time when this thing was last seen. The first movie was like ancient cultures. Uh, Last Crusade was more focused on these knights during the Crusades. This one, you have clues coming from the Nazca lines, which are thousands of years old, and then some random crypts from conquistadors, which are only hundreds of years old. Like, it's too thinly spread out across the eras. Yeah. And, you know, we've barely even mentioned Ray Winston, like, turning face and heel back and forth. Because it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't. It really <laughs> yeah. doesn't. Like, it, you know, and at the end of the movie, he basically just winks as he's about to die because he's like, I'll be all right. I'm a scoundrel. And he just dies. <laughs> <laughs> he, he winks and is like, don't worry, Andy, I'm going to be okay. And then he lets go of the whip and you hear him screaming in agony as he gets pulled away. And I'm like, oh, I don't think he's okay, Andy. That sounded pretty brutal. <laughs> And then they have a nice little moment. This is where he calls uh, Mutt Jr. Uh, mm. waiting for, I guess, the next day to make their way somewhere. And we just cut ahead to, like, Indy and Marion getting married. Uh, as we also see, he's been promoted at work. He's now assistant dean or something. Yep. Associate uh, dean. Associate dean. That, that was the phrase. And we see them at the wedding. And, you know... There's a little detail here that's all right where he says you make us the bride and she jumps in and kisses him first. That felt very like, okay, that's Marion. Okay, that, mm-hmm. that that's a fine little thing. You know, that to me works better of saying this feels like the same character compared to, oh, she says, you know, well, Indiana Jones and like puts her hands on her hips the same way when she first sees him. Because right. you're, you're doing the exact same moment. I'm like, wait, is this how she always greets him? Because now it feels like a bit. Whereas this feels like, no, this is how this character would actually like, you know, defy your expectations. Like, no, I'm not waiting for the man to kiss me. I'll kiss him when I want to because yeah. I'm a feisty woman, whatever. Marion is strong. She is able yeah. to do these things. We've established that. Right. That feels like a better way to call back to who her character is than doing the exact same beat for beat, hands on the hips. Well, Indiana Jones, smile. Mm. You know, so. Uh, but the egregious thing here at the end is the gust of wind blows Indy's hat towards Mutt. Mutt picks it up. He looks at it. The he, music swells. Yeah. He's going to put it on, and just at the last second, Indy, like, takes his hat and puts it on his own head and sort of, you know, pips it a little bit. And it's like, mm-hmm. the credits start to roll, and the movie's like, hey, he's next. Yeah. Here's your new Please Indiana Jones. Please fill out your survey cards now, located <laughs> to the left of your seat. And here we are, like, amazingly 15 years later, and there was never even a whiff of a mutt-led no. movie. Not even a whiff. And not only that, we're getting a movie here where he probably will just be mentioned in a throwaway line. Oh, I've got a son. He's off doing something, and that'll be it. Mutt died in a motorcycle accident, let's be honest. Mutt Mutt went back to his home planet. uh, And died on the way. (laughs) 
Yeah. So just just a few little things I wanted to throw out here that are super small and nitpicky, but just like really bothered me in how they broke the continuity that was established in the first three movies. By all means. Uh, first and foremost was when he first meets up with Oxley, he tries to get attention because like, hey, look, it's me. It's Indiana. And then like he looks around. It's just like it's Henry Jones Jr. These two were supposedly friends like they worked together underneath their mentor, which we established was whoever it was uh, Ravenwood, uh, her dad, Marion's dad. These two were supposedly co-workers. And we saw in Last Crusade that he had been going by Indy since at least like his early teenage years. So why did he think that calling himself Henry Jones Jr. was going to get his memory jogged any more than saying Indy? No, you're right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yep. And then the other issue I had was... It's not so much, I guess, an issue of continuity as much as just I really don't like the way they handled it is that during this scene where they make their way to the temple in the middle of um, El Dorado, these people, these, these natives, are actively trying to kill them. And the only thing that holds them off is the fact that he's got the crystal skull and he's just waving it around and apparently they're all scared of it. How did he... He... They established he got to this point. Oxley got to this point and then had to turn back around. How did he manage to go back this way? At a certain point, you would imagine that as he's walking through the crowd, someone's going to, like, stab him or shoot him with a poison dart or something. That's a big problem with Oxley. Again, he's barely a character and he's just kind of a plot device. And then when he does become himself during the the ship turning on at the end and he starts speaking coherently, and Mm -hmm. he's like, oh, good to have you back, old friend. We've never met this person. We have never met right. the real person. So, like, it doesn't mean anything to us that he's back to himself. So, yeah. when we see him at the end, like, he's at the wedding clapping, and he's all clean shaven. It's like, we don't know you. We never met this man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would even put that to Jim Broadbent's character as well, in that they had the same sort of talks that Brody and Indy had over the original. Yeah. Fr- and obviously, they would have reused Brody if they had him. Obviously, obviously that's yeah. the case. But. If you're still going to have the exact same character as Brody, give him something that is his own. Instead, like the first time we get introduced to this character, he makes the big reveal that in order to make it so that Indy isn't like arrested, he resigned from his position as Dean. I don't care. I've never met this man. I don't I have nothing that he's been Dean. I don't know how they've interacted. It's just this thing where they expect you to just put him on the same level that Brody was and just run with that emotional Yeah, he's he just Brody 2.0, and we're expected yeah. to care because of that. Um, yeah, it's all kind of like... One of the things going into this next one is that I've heard is that, you know, mm. a lot of the review blurbs on Rotten Tomatoes, because it's not... The, the score's not good, uh, mm. but a lot of those scores uh, and blurbs, even the positive ones, it kind of sounds like it's all about recapturing the past and it's scared to do anything really new. It's all about capturing the nostalgia and all that stuff. And I already feel that in this one, so I can't imagine doing this again, but you're feeling even worse with that. You know, we'll see if it ends up being worse or better than this movie overall. But uh, actually, yeah. before we talk about our, our feelings, because uh, I think we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll rate it before we do that, but I'll... Okay. I, one little... Just note here, this is not a positive or a negative, but uh, the Lucasfilm logo plays before the Paramount logo at the start of this, and normally mm. you wouldn't see that. 
Because typically the bigger studios that are distributing the movie will always right. go first, whether it's Universal, Warner Brothers, Paramount, whatever. Um, and I remember, I think, I want to say it might have been the Dawn of the Dead remake, of all things, where okay. uh, they wanted to do this thing, it may have been a different zombie movie, but they wanted to do this thing where the Universal logo went red, and then it was like it was like blood, and it would transition into like the, the, the world's infested, and then it would do like a fancy right. transition into the movie. And they couldn't do it because we've got like three logos we have to show and Universal has to go first. So we just can't right. do it. Um, but obviously with Paramount, you have the tra- the famous transition. Here it's the little molehill or whatever it is mm-hmm. uh, from the Paramount logo. So clearly, what, I don't know if it's just because there's different contracts here and Lucasfilm's so big, or if it's just because Spielberg has got enough sway that he said, hey, Paramount, we want to yeah. do the fancy transition. Can we put you second? He basically <laughs> just walked up into the executive's office and he's like, guys, we've been doing this for three movies yes. now. Do you really want to be the one that breaks tradition? <laughs> and I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure Paramount were like, yeah, we want the fancy, because it's good for them to have that fancy it's transition. Not, it, it wasn't even the modern Paramount logo. They went back and used the old Paramount logo. That is very true. Uh, so I just I wanted to point that out because I thought it was an interesting yeah. little uh, tidbit. But I mean, that's that's the whole thing between like where actors get credited and where like mm-hmm. everything has to line up. So many guilds, so many laws. The fact that if they did have to go through some hoops to make it work, I'm glad that they did. Because as much as it isn't the biggest reveal of it's literally a pile of dirt, <laughs> I'm at least happy that they they kept that going. There's, it there's, felt nice. Yeah, there's like the idea that we couldn't do a tr- little traditional thing that's harmless because some mm. contract says no, something that has to go first would just be stupid and annoying. He can't shave his mustache. You have to CGI it out. Although, sp- speaking of guilds and shit, though, the writers' guild's on strike right now as we record this. Yes. They'll probably still be in strike by the time this comes out. And the actors' mm-hmm. guild's apparently voting well not they should go on strike soon, so... So what we're saying is we're not going to get Ghostbusters this year. <laughs> oh, no. That, that script's already done. Be, well, I was saying the actors, though. Oh, yeah. The actors the act- go out. Oh, imagine if everything has to shut down production because the actors go on strike. Oof. Oh dear. Yeah, that would quickly affect things. Mm-hmm. That would very quickly affect things. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's Rate Crystal Skull, and then maybe we can do a little bit of like what we expect from sure. uh, the so- Destiny of Dials. Uh, <laughs> were you rating? Whatever, whatever that's called. Yeah. Um, I mean, it can't be anything great, can it? I, after everything we've just said, I can't turn around and be like, it's an 8.5 triumphant film. I'd be concerned. Well, here's the, yep. here's, here's, the, here's the question, actually, before you get to the rating itself. Okay. How much worse, or if you're going to shock me, how much better than Temple of Doom do you feel with this? Than Temple of Doom? Okay. Um, it's the obvious way to compare it to, because it's the one yeah. we agreed was the weakest before. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I I personally think this is definitely worse than Temple of Doom, because at least Temple of Doom, it it tried some new things. It didn't land all of them, but all of them still felt Indiana Jones. All of them still felt in that action adventure genre. And this just feels like a completely separate thing. This again, it's, it's of course partially because it's so much longer after the fact, but it also comes down to the things that they're trying just don't fit in with the vibe of what I consider to be Indiana Jones. The, atomic bomb thing going off aliens coming together these are all things that could have worked in some version of the script but it 
with all of them combined, it just strayed way too far off of what I consider to be core indie. So with all that, I got to say, I like this leaps and bounds less than Temple of Doom. Yeah, I wouldn't say leaps and bounds. I think overall, I would say that, yeah, this is worse than Temple of Doom. Uh, Mm -hmm. I will say that I do find this a little easier to watch, particularly earlier on for whatever reason. I think Temple of Doom, I find like really great pacing wise in the first half or so. That's uh, but that said though i still enjoy how that movie's made more i enjoy the action towards the end way more because it feels like it's still i this is kind of like you know when you have john mcclain back in die hard 4 or you have <laughs> harrison ford back as indy in mm. this one on some level like they've just aged so much that i just don't like seeing them try to be these roles anymore i'm like you're not John McClane anymore. You're not Indiana Jones anymore. You're an old man now. All I see yeah. is Harrison Ford or Bruce Willis now. I don't see... Because basically what I'm saying is, is that there's a, a, once enough time has passed, I'm saying the window is closed to really make it feel like an actual proper part of the, the saga. I think the window can still be open. I don't think that it's impossible not to, but you can't have the same type of story. Yeah. It needs to then evolve into a different type of story of like you know, the sunset years, the story of how things are not as easy to do. And this is the one last well, gig sort of story. It, it varies. I'm not saying it's impossible. I think Rocky Balboa did a decent job with doing mm-hmm. it with Rocky. That was a fairly successful attempt at it. Um, I like, I think there's definitely situations where it's worked and when it, when it has or hasn't. Yeah. But like, the reason why I bring up Die Hard 4, I think specifically, because I remember feeling just like, well, we've got Die Hard 4, I want to like it, because, you know, I really like the Die Hard movies, and yeah. I, I just remember feeling like, like, it's not Bruce Willis's fault that he's completely bald now, but, <laughs> like, something about it just doesn't feel like John McClane anymore. He feels like he's right. just doing a typical Bruce Willis role, and, well, don't get me wrong, I think Harrison Ford makes more of an effort here to sound like Indy, and at times he does sound quite like Indy. On some level, I'm like, I think between the actors just being older and just how movies being made feels so different now, uh, and that's not even now, this is 15 years ago, but even just at that point, yeah. it was so different from like the, the end of the 80s when the last one was made. Is I'm like, those movies just feel of a different era and nothing you were going to do was ever going to feel like you're part of that same lineage. It feels so separate just because everything's so CG focused now. Mm-hmm. And on some level, I'm not saying no franchises can come back. Some probably should, specific ones that maybe could benefit from these different takes. But Indiana yeah. Jones is just one of those things where on some level like you know i think you don't bring die hard back either because i'm like you know what john wick is now our die hard and that's fine yeah. and some something else will be that in another decade or two like we'll have another thing that will replace those but trying to do I, die hard five is a nightmare it just did not work it was horrible oh yeah no you know? i think that i think that if the franchise is just a general sort of universe thing like the star wars and such like that even Jurassic Park to an extent where it's not focused on a specific character in their adventures, but just a larger idea. You can bring it back. You can work within that universe as much as you want, but Indiana well, Jones is a strange. In okay? theory, I would say in that theory. the star Wars movies didn't actually do that, but go on. No, 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 they did not. But I, there are other shows in there like Andor and Mandalorian that explored different enough parts of it that they were their own thing. Not saying that the Ray Skywalker line was that, but for things like Indiana Jones, it's an issue of 
you have this character. You have to follow this character story because otherwise it's no longer Indiana Jones and the, it's whoever it is we're following and the. So this has to be Harrison Ford. This, or at least as long as you're willing to keep it as Harrison Ford, because obviously there are things like Solo that exist. But <laughs> but if you're going to keep it as the same character and just his continuing adventures, it's got to be the same guy. And if you're still building the stories around what he could do in his 20s while he's in his 40s, 50s and upwards, you're going to have that same diehard problem where it's like, had this, it's not working anymore. You have to work for whatever the age of the character is. And I but just move... But I want yeah, to emphasize that it's not just the characters and the actors and the ages. Like, I think, mm -hmm. again, what I was saying before is that movies are just made yeah. differently from when these movies were made. And they just, they were never going to feel that they're part of the same lineage. And in the, in the sense that they're never going to feel like they're one of them, right? There's all, like, because of the time gap, and because, unless mm -hmm. they were going to go out of their way to try and make it, you know, shoot it on film, right. do lots of stunts, do, do things how they were done back then to actually try and recreate that magic the way it was done. But they didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all green screen and CG. So it just inherently feels that the DNA is wrong. Right. And that's what I think is not an inherent thing in the franchises themselves. Because they could go back. They could shoot it on film. They could shoot it on location. But what gets me the most is going from Lord of the Rings to Hobbit, and I know you're not a fan, but Lord of the Rings were shot with an immense amount of practical effects for something the scale no. of those movies. This is a good comparison, honestly. Yeah. Yes. And so you come back later on and you have Ian McKellen, who honestly has not aged that much. I mean, yes, well, it has he, been like 10, 15 years. He was but... already an old man. So... <laughs> right, exactly. But like he was he was in heavy makeup. He had a big beard, whatever. He looks the same. An audience can accept that as the same Gandalf. But then behind the scenes, he's no longer shooting with trick photography to make you understand the scale of these creatures is different. Well, he's shooting on green screen. There's that and famous it's something that doesn't work, right? There's that, that fam there's the famous clip where he like breaks down and starts crying because he's he's acting with a green room with a green ball to show yep. where the other actors are meant to be standing, and he's just depressed. He's like, "This is not why I went to you know theater right. school or whatever." <laughs> and that's there is no reason that if they really really wanted to, they couldn't tell the Hobbit series. Look, go out. Do exactly what Peter Jackson did. And like Peter Jackson eventually hopped on board. They could have easily said, like, take as much time as you need. Do the whole pre-production thing. But in the end, whenever they make a new installation on these old franchises, it's solely because it's a easy cash grab. And to devote that extra effort to it is antithetical towards what they want to do. Yeah. No, like... That's going to enter a larger discussion of, like, you know, the funding of movies and the, the greed and, you know, yeah. making them as cheap as possible, all that other stuff. Like, like mm -hmm. I guess into all that, all right? Even though budgets are ballooning at the same time, so obviously it's, the money's going somewhere, but... Yeah. Uh, like, the, I, I just... I think fundamentally, when movies are of a certain era and you have this franchise, like, there are certain genres that maybe you can get away with it more than others, but, like, that, I love the Friday the 13th franchise, for an example, right? <laughs> And they yeah. made eight of those in the 80s, right? One through eight were all made in the 80s, and then there's a couple in the 90s, and there's one or two later ones, and it's been dormant for a while. Mm -hmm. I think I could enjoy a lot of new Friday the 13th movies if they started pumping them out, because effectively they're kind of just endlessly redoable, because <laughs> it's yeah. very simple. Mm -hmm. But I think on some level, like, I would feel like the modern ones are like a new 
set there'd be like a, a sort of sub division if you will because fundamentally okay. they're never going to feel like the ones from the 80s again well then let me throw this out because yeah. obviously this is the real life example halloween oh yep yeah so how does that feel how does that feel for you Halloween 2018 was Halloween The Force Awakens and it had all the problems that that might entail. Um, okay. It might have worked better for me if I thought it was better directed because I, I did have some problems with that. Uh, mm-hmm. My biggest problems were that. But it had too much stuff into it. It tried to... You know, it, you know, it became a trilogy which had led right. to its own problems. You know, Halloween Kills is a lot more entertaining but not for the right reasons. Uh, <laughs> and then Halloween Ends is the only one that I actually think does some interesting stuff. It chickens out by the ending but yeah. that actually tried to do something really unique and ballsy up until a certain point before it kind of chickened out towards the end. And mm. because of that, I, I thought it was the best of the three quite quite easily. And But it was the diversive one because a lot of people hated that last one. Okay, um, but but I guess the, the main question in response is, do you see it as completely divorced from the original Halloween films? Yes, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Like, it, okay. it's It's... Like Halloween's a weird one because the the reset and like they ignore those sequels. We're we're starting from number two again. <laughs> effectively, right. they've done that a few times at this point, and you know they they do it and they do it and it. But it, you know it happens with any franchise that's come back. Now it works in Star Wars's favor a little bit because they kind of frame it as this trilogy, that trilogy, this trilogy, yeah. um, mm. and they try to milk it a bit more recently. But like that, that's what they've they've tried to do. But if you look at anything else that's came back and try to like continue on whether successful Mm. or not like no one is going to say that jurassic world's trilogy feels like it's next to the first you know they feel like they're from two different eras and that can be okay to a point if you if you make each one feel like they've got their own thing going or or whatever Mm. but this all boils down to just the the core complaint is is there's too many things being brought back (laughs) like that's all this boils down to that really i'm not saying that you can't do any of them well like you can have successes some can work but mm-hmm. they're doing too many, and the vast majority are these ultra-safe movies. Uh, we're probably doing the Ghostbusters movies later this year, so yep. look forward to our thoughts on Ghostbusters Afterlife when it hits. I guess for me, the <laughs> moment, like right now, I'll tolerate them. I, I don't like the fact that most of them are coming back, and I won't see most of them, but I'll tolerate them. The moment I will actively <laughs> fight against is when Back to the Future oh, gets its mm-hmm. extra thing. That's, that's the one. That said, though, you probably will see most of them because we'll be doing most of them. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I won't like it. All right. So anyway, yes. we're going to get into ratings. Absolutely. Um, yes. So for this one, I mean, again, it's not it's not even on the same level as any of the three prior movies. I think that it's far beneath any of that. And it's not for the reasons of, you know, oh, we're introducing Mutt. I honestly don't think he's that bad of a thing. What it really comes down to is the fact of it felt so bloated with ideas of things that it felt like it wanted to do and yet it barely did any of them yeah that, the none only of, thing none of the ideas on their own were fleshed out right exactly i like i would have been so in on the like who can you trust commie plot that would have been great but instead it's given like a passing mention and then we just forget about it because mind control magnet aliens and even that's barely defined as well as it should be so overall because of the sanitation of this, because how it feels just like corporate greed personified, I'm going to go ahead and give this one a four. And the only benefits I'll give it is I did really like that motorcycle chase scene because it was all practical. And I will say some of the jokes and some of the callbacks worked. Not anywhere near all of them, but some of them. Yeah, yeah there's the odd one that works, like, you know, him calling Mutt Jr. 
that mm-hmm. that works that makes sense marrying kissing him first at the wedding that works yep. uh you know there there are moments that are fine and are, are even good but you know it's, it's worth saying though i said this was easier to watch i also watched it in three parts <laughs> which you cheater you know it's like you know just over two hours long and i, I watched it in three chunks um yeah which maybe says something like it's not it's not that it's ever aggressively well there's some aggressively dumb bits but i wouldn't oh, ever, yeah. ever say it's aggressively like hard to watch but it's just kind of dull enough because it's never that engaging that i feel like i needed breaks and i, I had to get a second win to come back and watch the next part <laughs> you know what it felt like to me and i know this only because i jokingly put it on today as i was running some errands with my uh-huh. girlfriend it feels like a kids bop album are you familiar with that kids bop no <laughs> It is it is a thing that's existed since the late '90s, where they just cover pop songs, but it's just a bunch of like seven and eight year olds singing it, and it's it's bad. Like they get decent enough singers, but it's bad because it's just a bunch of seven and eight year olds singing it. But the part that really gets people is when they cover songs that have like explicit things in it, and they have to change it for the sake of the kids singing it. This is what that feels like, in that it's completely sanitized and it's just kind of aggressively stupid at parts because of what they have to change i think the final thing i want to say and this is just kind of a larger point uh, the kind of building off what we were just saying before mm-hmm. is the stuff that comes back and does well or somehow continues to feel like it's its own good thing even when we get into later entries you know mission impossible which we're doing next year when the last one's coming out um I wouldn't say it reinvented itself, but it kind of found it's really what it was around mm-hmm. the fourth movie. And that's where I really started to... In- I mean, I like the first one quite a bit, but I, I thought the fourth one's where it kind of like, okay, this is... you know, In the same way that Fast and the Furious almost, but the fifth one is like, oh, right. now we're this thing. And maybe there's an element of reinvention to a point. But the example that I, I, I like to bring up is Twin Peaks. Because mm-hmm. Twin Peaks had two seasons, it had a prequel movie, and it was done. It was dormant. No one wanted to fund it, right? Yep. And that was it, right? And people longed for years. People cared about it, wanted a conclusion because it ended on cliffhangers. There was lots of things dangling. Yeah. And 25 years later, (laughs) give or take, we get the announcement, it's coming back. And David Lynch comes in and directs 18 episodes. It's effectively an 18-hour movie split into chapters that he comes in and directs. And what's so fascinating to me about that, and comparing it to all these franchises that come back, is that that had story to finish telling, and David Lynch was not satisfied with just coming in and doing the natural conclusion to that. He came in with, like, I've got something new to say, and I'm going to spend 18 hours making a work of goddamn art that is filled with me saying something to the world. Mm -hmm. And some people don't like that it didn't just give them the, 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 the neat, happy ending, they're wrong (laughs) but it's this wonderful new thing because the creator had something to say and when i watched crystal skull when i watched you know pick another nostalgia sequel of the last five years or whatever Mm -hmm. i watch it and i go the only thing these creators have to say is that we like the old movie and we wanted to do it again yeah and that's it that's all they've got and it feels hollow and I'll take a sequel that people complain about, like Ghostbusters 2, over the nostalgia sequel that came much later 
any day of the week because while people complained that sequels back then would just be kind of doing something similar to the first movie again at least mm-hmm. it was a new villain at least it was like here's them going on another adventure they at least applied a kids like tv show logic to it where okay we want our heroes back here's a new villain they'll win by the end sure but we're going to have new situations new ideas and new settings throughout and yeah that was always criticized as not doing enough back in the day but i'll take it for something like that over these nostalgia everything like every detail has to be worshipped and like treated like nostalgia the, the thing the thing that always gets me is the uh star wars when they they mm. make a big deal out of han's dice that he keeps <laughs> yes. in there yes. and i'm like it was never a thing and no, yes. you gave han nothing and then you came back, you were like, something needs to exist for the characters to stare longingly at. And I'm not saying that this movie has specific detail examples like that, but mm-hmm. the general sentiment and feeling I get from all these other examples is also here. It is yeah. that feeling of, we're doing this just to go again, not because we actually have, a, we didn't have an idea to actually do with the character or do something interesting with them. And yeah. the sad part is, is I don't think you even need to have that to begin with the i the, the reason for doing the movie could be hey we want another indiana jones okay fine but a good writer will go away and okay what can we do with this character what story can we tell with him and say with him that's relevant to today that'll mm-hmm. be a fun adventure but actually has something to say about the character and like i don't maybe you do something with like okay he's old and reflective so maybe you do maybe it's a character that tells a story about, I don't know, how we view masculinity now, because that's changed so much since the 80s. Maybe you could do something with that. Or yeah. whatever. It could be anything. But it has nothing to say. So, no. I mean, I agree with the 4 out of 10. Uh, to, <laughs> to, get, okay. to get to the number, cool. finally. But yeah. I just, I feel like I wanted to go on that speech, because that's the the, the greater problem that this movie kind of is, is the tip of the spear, almost, because it's kind of the, the mm. early days of doing the nostalgia sequels. It's, and it's still it's even worse now it's even worse and to take that into dial of destiny like all these early reviews that are middling to negative all mm-hmm. sound like everything i don't want <laughs> yeah that's, that's what fair. they sound like yeah i mean I, I don't disagree with any of that so i guess the one point though that we do have to agree on does it make the collection oh no i mean absolutely no. not uh i won't say it cuts deep but i will say cut your losses Cut your losses. I'll agree. I'm, I'm not going to disagree, but I do think it's on the upper end of that. I do think that <laughs> sure, it is. Sure. It is just barely like it's it's trying to poke its head out into like, no, no, guys, guys, I'm at least worth a single watch. But then he swings from vines and then I go ahead and kick him down a peg. I, I feel like you're better off if you only watch the original trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. Same and book. I mean... We'll see what happens with Dial. We'll see where we yeah. get there. And the same goes, you know, same goes for Die Hard. I'd be like, you know what? Get to Die Hard with a vengeance and call it a day there. And we'll do them at some point and we'll go in oh, depth. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Absolutely. I do wonder how much different the world would be if Disney didn't get to extend out copyright to just be forever. Like, because the only reason they're doing this is because they and they alone are the only people who can yeah well it's not forever because uh they're not extending it again and that steamboat willy uh is coming up right so that was 1920 we now have to wait 60 years before someone can do an indiana jones no i know i know but i was just saying it's not forever 
right. you're right. They are going to milk these things. And it's worth mentioning as well that when stuff does go public domain, only mm. that original version does. So the right. example I always bring up is Superman, where, yeah, Superman will be public domain in like 10 years or whatever it is, but mm. Kryptonite won't be, uh, Krypton itself yeah. won't be. Half he of can't his, fly. Yeah, half of his powers won't be. Lex Luthor won't be. Uh, Lois Lane yep. might be, but the Daily Planet won't be. It'll be the Daily Star from the original action yep. comic. Like, you know, like a lot of the elements don't go public domain until later. Mm-hmm. Another 20, 30 years, then, then you're cooking. Then anyone can make like a traditional Superman oh, yeah. story. But Absolutely. Uh, but that's, I, I, I just wonder because, you know, they don't have to try. If they actually had to try to compete against other rivaling Indian or Indiana Jones stories, they might put out something with real effort behind it because these were these original creators do, that did it. Do you, know, do you know what's so funny is that you would think that because there's this time limit on the IP they have, you would think that they would try and devote at least half their resources to always create a new IP to you know to start the clock again to get a new success yeah. that then has another ninety years or whatever it is to milk before it's not just theirs anymore. But mm-hmm. they're so determined on being safe that there's, you know, that's why they're mining comics and they're mining video games oh, yeah. for IP, obviously. But you know, absolutely. Anyway, I, IP IP is incredibly hard to make something that's going to resonate with audiences for long enough that they're going to care for the entire length of the copyright term. Yeah. So. So is there anything else you want to comment on <laughs> Dial of Destiny before we leave? I mean... Or basically get that out. I mean, we've kind of dipped it in there, here mm-hmm. or there, but it's been relevant. But yeah, the reviews are not encouraging. Like, I wasn't feeling that positive on the trailers. It looked fine, but I was kind of thinking in the back of my head, it looks like a nostalgia movie. And these, and it almost feels like the general reviewers are getting harsher on these because they're getting sick of them. Oh, yeah. You know, I guarantee you, if you took like the original Iron Man movie and released it in today's superhero fatigue, everyone would be like, oh my god, it's so boring. Um, I think a better example for this specifically, I think Star Wars Force Awakens and Jurassic World, which were 2015 and 2016, mm-hmm. I think if you put them out now, I think they review much worse than they did. Oh, the exact same yeah. movies would review much worse. They would make sure to throw in the line, somehow the Death Star has returned. <laughs> Uh, Joe, it's funny because they're doing a movie with Ray. Is that technically somehow a Palpatine has returned again? <laughs> I've I haven't caught anything Star Wars since like Mandalorian season one, and I don't feel bad about that. No, no. Uh, unfortunately, I've got a sci-fi podcast, so I'm going to have to uh, womp womp see a lot of the movies at least at some point. But yeah. Uh, but there you go. Uh, there is our thoughts on. Uh, crystal skull and also just the state of uh bringing back franchises in general yeah um, honestly that was such a meaty chunk i'm almost tempted to cut it out and, and make it some little thing but no it i would, mean maybe it, it wouldn't really fit anywhere so i'll just leave it in but it, yeah. it definitely added like 25 minutes onto this so we're hitting two hours almost on this so um cool. you can of course get some bonus content on patreon patreon.com slash tv Every month from just the collector's cut alone, we have a bonus episode at the $3 tier, which is a movie that usually, you know, thematically ties into what we're doing on the current episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. So we did The Phantom, uh, which was a, a vote as well, actually. Obviously, we yep. have a vote every month, and sometimes you're voting on a bonus episode, sometimes you're voting on a, like a theme for a month, sometimes you're voting on, you know, an episode for a month, whatever. Um, but uh, we did the Phantom. Uh, we also have the Extra Reels show, Collectors Cut Extra Reels, at the $5 tier where we do a So Bad It's Hopefully Good movie. <laughs> uh, we just did... What did we just do? 
uh, on that. We did Sinbad, the Battle bad. of the Dark Knights was the last one uh, that we did. It was, that was so bad, it's something. It's pretty rough. Uh, and I can tell you, the next one we're doing this coming uh, episode is going to be a Neil Breen movie. The first time we've dabbled into Neil Breen territory, so look forward to that. Sorry, I'm um, just going to mute my mic real quick. Hold on. <laughs> Uh, for the audio listeners, uh, David is clearly, um, he's, he's dancing in joy, showing how happy he is. He's about to do a Neil Breen movie. Uh, I almost think he may be swearing of happiness right now. So happy. Yeah. <clears throat> so we got that. We have a monthly Criterion show, which is not a Patreon exclusive, but it's a monthly show that we do now as well. Uh, so make sure you check it out. We did Wages of Fear last time, which is a fantastic French film from the 50s, mm-hmm. which I don't know... You're like, oh, you're all snobby and hoity-toity. No, it's great. It's fantastic. Also, that's the point of the show, is to be snobby and hoity-toity. So. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, go check that out. And obviously, there's bonus shows for the Atomic Cinema Experiment, or our sci-fi movie podcast, Screams After Midnight, or horror podcast. So there's a bunch of stuff on Patreon, and you get extra content and support the show and help keep it coming. Uh, but you can do all that. Like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications. Uh, get us on the, the social medias. Uh, at Screams Midnight is our Mail Fuzz Movies Twitter uh, but, you know, go and uh, have a look at all this stuff. But uh, that is the show. That is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We'll see you next time for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, oh, boy. And following that, we get into Christopher Nolan season. Which Woo. I'm looking forward to. So thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep watching movies. And <sighs> this podcast belongs in a museum.